We come now to the eighth and final sermon in our series entitled One Another. By now, you realize that the term one another is found in your Greek New Testament more than a hundred times in 94 verses with 47 of them giving us instructions on how we as the body of Christ relate to one another. So far over the last two months, we have learned our lessons about forgive one another, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, submit to one another, stir one another up towards love and good deeds, live in harmony with one another, and today we come to the instruction to serve one another. I'll stop right there and tell you that I hope that this series has not been something that just has filled your mind but also transformed your heart. It's one thing to have know-how. It's another thing to have want-to. It's still a third thing to have follow-through. I hope and pray that the truth of these scripture passages and the instruction from these sermons is not just something that we sit and soak in, but it's something that we actually live out in our daily life. So today we come to the eighth and final sermon in this series that's simply entitled Serve One Another. When I think about service in the kingdom of Christ, there is one story in the New Testament that floods my mind. It's the story of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Did you know that outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the only other story of a miracle uh, of Christ that is recorded in all four Gospels? We read of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, and in John chapter 6. This morning, I want to give you five statements of service in the kingdom of God from this story as it's recorded in Mark chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it. Turn to the second gospel, Mark. I want you to find chapter 6, and once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 6, I'll begin reading at verse 30. I'll conclude at verse 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Well, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to the heavens, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate. They all were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten that day 
was 5,000. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Previously in Mark chapter 6, we are told that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He gave them power to preach the gospel and to drive out demons. When they returned to Christ, they were full of overjoyed stories. They had a successful experience. They were exhausted, but they were exhilarated. We are told that when the crowd saw that Jesus and the boys were back together, there were so many people coming and going that these disciples did not even have time to eat. Now, you know that it's a suffocating schedule if preachers skip lunch. And that's what happened on this day. There were so many people coming and going. They recognized that Jesus and the disciples were back. They heard the stories that the disciples could preach like Jesus and do mighty miracles like Jesus. And once the band was back together again, people thought to themselves, we've got to cling to them. And the crowd clamored after Christ and his disciples. There was so much activity that Jesus said to his disciples, let's go away to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. So they got into a boat. They set sail from Capernaum, and it's Luke who tells us that they landed in Bethsaida. The first statement I want to tell you about service in the kingdom of God is this, that service begins with secluded time with the Savior. Do you have time in your schedule on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, when you get alone with the Lord? Are there times when you escape the hustle and bustle of everyday life and you just have some boat time with Jesus? It's just you and the Lord. You get away because you need to be refreshed. You get away because you need to be refilled. You get away because you understand that service begins with secluded time with the Savior. You weren't designed to serve and work and minister 24-7. If you constantly give out to others, eventually you'll just give out. You cannot have a pace of life where your soul cannot keep up with your body. you got to have moments when you unplug from this world. Because if you don't unplug from this world, you might just be unhinged by this world. So you and I have to have regular time on a regular basis maybe every day, maybe uh, uh, several times throughout the week, where we just get alone with the Lord, where we just have a quiet time, a place of rest. Maybe it includes scripture reading. Maybe it includes journaling. Maybe you spend some time in prayer. Perhaps it's just one-on-one worship where you're just worshiping the Lord with the songs that minister to your soul and Jesus is the audience of one. Uh, Maybe it's you are reading a book that's helping you in your faith journey with Christ. Whatever it is, do you have some time when you're just alone with the Lord? I'm not standing before you telling you that you need to do these things. I'm standing before you telling you that you have to do these things. Because if you don't do these things, then you will simply become unhinged. We've got to unplug from the world so that we're not unhinged by the world. Service in the kingdom of Christ always begins with secluded time with the Savior. 
Jesus and the disciples landed in Bethsaida. It's only a few miles from Capernaum to Bethsaida as you travel around the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's only a few additional miles to travel it by foot. We were told that the crowd was so excited to see Jesus and the disciples that that they outpaced the boat. That by the time Jesus landed, the crowd had already assembled right there at Bethsaida. Scripture tells us that Jesus saw the crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's difficult for us to visualize the size of this crowd. At the end of the story, Mark tells us that 5,000 people ate that day. It is Matthew who gives us further clarification that that number doesn't include women and children. So on this day, Jesus is staring at a crowd that's probably upwards of 20,000 individuals. There were 5,000 men. You can safely assume there are at least 5,000 ladies. There are probably as many children as there are adults. So on this day, Jesus is looking at a massive crowd of 20,000 individuals. Let's put this in perspective. The population in those days of Bethsaida and Capernaum combined was a total of 5,000 people. So to say that Jesus is looking at a crowd of upwards of 20,000 individuals is to say that these are people not only from Capernaum and Bethsaida, but literally from the entire region of Galilee. Everybody showed up because Jesus and the disciples were back together again, and they all flocked to this one area in Galilee. This is a massive crowd. I put it in context in another way, that when we get ready for a a large worship service or a a large event that we know is going to attract a uh, a, a numerous individuals in a crowd, you know, we as a staff, we talk about a lot of things. We we talk about the logistics of of the space and, and the parking and the facilities and the bathrooms and who's going to clean it up and how often are we going to have to do this or that. And we talk about a lot of things, but even the largest crowd that we anticipate is is nothing compared to what Jesus stared at that day. I mean, if, if we have a crowd of 2,000 people, we would think to ourselves, where are we going to put all those individuals? Yet on this day, Jesus is staring at a crowd 10 times anything like that. He's looking at nearly 20,000 individuals. We are told that he had compassion on them. The second statement I'll make is this, that service flows from a heart of compassion. The word that Mark uses is splanknon. The word splanknon is a funny word, isn't it? It literally means pity or compassion. Literally, it was used to describe a person's inward parts. So Mark is telling us that on this day, as Jesus stared at the crowd, his guts shook. His insides were moved to pity. And compassion. When he saw the crowd, when he saw the suffering of the crowd, when he saw all the needs of the people in the crowd, he was moved to the core of his being. And what overflowed out of his heart was compassion for them. My question to you this morning is that when you see suffering in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ, do your guts shake? Are you moved to compassion? Are are you rocked to the core of who you are? Are you moved to the point where you say, I've got to do something about it. I can't just stand here calloused-hearted 
I've got to do something. Are you moved to compassion or have you become hard-hearted where the suffering of others no longer moves you? So you say to yourself, because you don't want to say it to anybody else, well, I'm just glad it's them and not me. After all, what can I do about their suffering? Jesus stares at this large crowd. He has compassion on them to the point that his guts were shaking on the inside. He was moved to action. Why? Because they look like helpless sheep without a shepherd. What a rich symbol. This symbol is dripping with Old Testament references. It's Isaiah the prophet who lived some 700 years before the coming of Christ who said that he being God tends his flock like a shepherd. It's the psalmist who says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want of anything. It's Ezekiel who says that God will send a great shepherd. And Jesus said in John 10, one of his famous I am statements, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus stares at the crowd. It's a massive crowd. He is moved to compassion. His guts shake. And he looks upon them because they appear as sheep without a shepherd. What is more than interesting is that Mark places this story right on the heels of his description of King Herod. It's not that the people of Galilee and the population of Israel didn't have a shepherd. No, they had one. Technically, they had one. They had a shepherd. His name is Herod, but he's no king like David. Herod is a pathetic king. He is a a raunchy shepherd. He doesn't care for the sheep. He doesn't take care of the people. Um, and, And Mark places a story about King Herod that reveals his character, and he puts that right beside this story of Jesus that reveals his character. In the previous passage, we are told that one day King Herod threw a drunken party for his rowdy friends. The daughter of his mistress came in and danced erotically. She pleased King Herod. He was so pleased with her dancing that he said to her, Darling, you ask for anything, and I'll give it to you, even up to half of my kingdom. She ran back to her mother She asked her mom, her name was Herodias, what should I ask for? Herodias said, you ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. You think to yourself, what axe to grind does Herodias have against John the Baptist? And the answer is because John the Baptist was very vocal in his opposition to the immoral relationship that King Herod was having with his mistress named Herodias. It wasn't that he was just having an illicit affair. No, he was having an illicit affair with his brother's wife. Herodias was married to Philip. Philip was Herod's brother. And so Herod was throwing all caution to the wind. He was having an immoral, unethical, illicit relationship with his brother's wife. And John the Baptist was vocal about God's opposition to this. John the Baptist was saying, this is not how the king of Israel is to act. This is not what a good shepherd looks like. Now, King Herod, he too didn't like John the Baptist. He had thrown him into prison, hoping that that would silence him. But the truth of the matter is, Herod was a little afraid of John the Baptist. John had a large following too. 
There were many disciples of John that were also vocal. And so Herod thought, if I just put John the Baptist in prison, uh, uh, that, that will silence not only him, but also his disciples. Herodias took advantage of the moment, and she said, I want you to silence him completely. I want you to execute him. Ask for John's head on a platter. The dancing daughter came back into the palace. She approached the king with this request. Now Herod's between a rock and a hard place. It's not that he really wants to execute John the Baptist, but he made this promise in the presence of all these witnesses and friends, so he had to do it. He gave the orders for the execution of John the Baptist, and sure enough, his head was plopped on a silver platter and given to Herodias. It is not by accident that Mark places that story of King Herod right before this story of King Jesus. He wants the reader to see that, that Herod is no shepherd at all. He is a terrible king, but Jesus is a great shepherd. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. In Herod, you have someone who is sinister and sinful and seductive. In Jesus, you have someone who is caring and concerned and compassionate. You can't get more polar opposites than King Herod and King Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on the people. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Service in the kingdom of God flows from a heart of compassion. If you and I are going to serve one another, we've got to have a heart like Christ. We cannot be calculated, hard-hearted, cold, and calloused when it comes to the suffering of other people, other families in the, in the church, when it comes to other human suffering from people that are not even Christians, but they're just our fellow man, uh, same image bearers of God as you and me. And so we have to be moved with compassion. We've got to have the same heart as Christ. On this day, Jesus took pity on the crowd and he began to teach them. I'm sure he probably healed some sick family members. He gave them the word of Christ, and they feasted on him by faith as they took that word into their life. After Jesus got done preaching, it was kind of late in the day. The disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Master, we think it would be a good idea for you just to dismiss the crowd. After all, it is getting late, and we are in a remote place. To say we're in a remote place is to say, Jesus, we are in the sticks, and, and you need to let people go so they can get something to eat. The last thing we need is a hangry crowd. You know, a crowd that's not only hungry, but now they're angry. You don't need 20,000 hungry, angry people that are looking at us to do something. So, so just send them away. Now, at first, that sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? I mean, send them away to Arby's. Send them away to Applebee's. Send them away to Cracker Barrel. Send them away to Whataburger. Let them get something from someplace, but you need to let them buy something to eat to satisfy their hunger. It sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Until you think about the logistics, where are they going to go? Where are 20,000 people going to go this day? The closest village is Bethsaida. It has a marketplace that can help support its population of 2,000 people. 2,000 people. You got 20,000 hungry people. 
Well, if you go to Bethsaida, you can also go in the other direction to Capernaum. Well, the Capernaum has a marketplace that could support a population of that day of about 3,000 people. So if you send them to Bethsaida and Capernaum, that's only 5,000 mouths to feed. You've still got upwards of 15,000 hungry people. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? It sounds like a good idea. Send them away. Just let them buy something to eat. But Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Here's the third statement. That service in the kingdom of God involves you giving what you have. You give them something to eat. The disciples thought Jesus was joking. It would take eight months of a man's wages to feed this crowd. Do you expect us to go to Judas and see if he has 200 denarii in his pouch? And even if he does have 200 denarii in his pouch, do you want us to spend all of that so that we can feed these people? I mean, if we spend all that money, that's eight months of wages that we've been saving, we won't have anything else for our future. Jesus, are you kidding me? Do you really want us to spend all that money on one meal for all these people? And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, well, how many loaves do you have? Once again, they thought he was joking. They looked around and they said, Jesus, you know we don't have any bread. We, we didn't bring anything, Jesus. You, you know that we don't have anything to give. Jesus, are, are you joking? And they began to laugh, and everybody was laughing except Jesus. Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Well, go and see. And the disciples said, okay, okay. So they broke huddle, and they went, and they tried to find whatever they could find, so the crowd could be fed that day. It is only John who says anything about a little boy who has a lunch. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they just tell us what was found. Five loaves of bread and two fish. The story is so familiar that sometimes we just gloss right over the details. But if you stop and think about this story, uh, this, this is significant and this is amazing, isn't it? There's one boy in the crowd who has a lunch. Let that sink in. There's only one stinking boy in the crowd who has a lunch. Is there only one boy who has a responsible mama? There's only one boy who has a lunch? There's only one parent who said, you know what, Johnny, before we go out there, let me put some food in a knapsack so you can have some lunch today. We're going to be gone a long time. Uh, it's it's going to take all day long, so let me give you some. There's only one stinking mama who prepared a meal for Junior. There's only one boy in the crowd with lunch. And the lunch that he does have, five loaves of bread and two fish, Five loaves of bread and two fish? I've got one loaf of bread in my cupboard. I never get two loaves of bread because it'll go stale before I can eat the first loaf, right? I mean, I think you're pretty much like me. He's got five loaves of bread. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Until you realize that the word that's translated as loaf really should be understood as cracker. He's got five saltines. That's it. He's got five crackers and two fish. The two fish, they're not 10-pound groupers here. It's not 10-pound bass. It's um, a couple of sardines. In other words, this kid has a Lunchable. That's it. That's all he's got. 
He's got a handful of crackers. He's got a couple of sardines. He's got a boy-sized lunch. That's all he has. This is all the disciples could find. This is all they could possess. This is all they can have in their hands. And they say to Jesus, Jesus, this is all I've got. Service in the kingdom of God involves you giving what you've got. But have you ever thought to yourself, what I've got isn't enough? Not to meet this need that's in front of me. I mean, what I've got, Jesus, I've got five and two. That's it. I've got five crackers and two sardines. I, I don't have enough to meet the need of all the people in front of me. Jesus, I don't have enough. I, I don't have what's needed to accomplish this task. Jesus, this is so insignificant. This is so a bunch of nothing. I mean, all I've got is just a handful of crackers and a couple of goldfish, just a couple of sardines. That's all I've got, Jesus. I don't have enough. I, I can't do this. I can't make a difference. I can't make a dent into darkness. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't go there. I can't do this. I can't minister to them. Have you ever said anything like that? Jesus, I don't have enough. This is all I've got. And, and I've got nothing compared to the need of the people that are uh, around me. Jesus, I, I don't have enough. And why do we say it? Because we're too young or because we're too old or because we're too poor or because we're too inexperienced or because we uh, uh, lack knowledge, because we're too ignorant. We think to ourselves, I can't do anything. Jesus, I don't have enough. All I've got are five and two. All I've got is five loaves of bread and two fish. Have you ever been there where the need that is staring you in the face is far greater than you can handle? You can't meet this need. It's a human impossibility. And all you've got in your possession are five and two. All you've got, five loaves of bread and two fish. It's at that moment that Jesus says, perfect, that's all I want. You see, your greatest ability is your availability to be used by the Lord. That whatever you have at your disposal, you bring to him. Yes, it is a human impossibility to take a Lunchable to feed a crowd of 20,000 people. But the disciples took that human impossibility to the one who makes all things possible. You and I have to do the very same thing. Service will involve you giving what you have, even if what you have seems insignificant. Jesus will say to you, perfect, that's all I want. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He said to his disciples, you seat the crowd in groups of fifties and hundreds. He looked up to the heavens, he gave thanks. He broke the bread and he multiplied it. He gave thanks for the fish, and he multiplied the fish. He gave the bread and the fish to his disciples, and they in turn gave it to the people. I can imagine that this was a multi-hour endeavor, that Jesus was standing on top of the hillside. All the people were scattered along the countryside, 
They were seated in groups of 50 here and 50 there, 100 there and 100 over there. And the disciples took their little wicker baskets. I am not going to call them a purse, but it kind of looked like a purse. They took their little wicker baskets, their man purse, and they took it to, the, to, to Jesus. And Jesus put in that pouch bread and fish. And he said, now go and take it to that crowd over there. So they received from Jesus and they gave to a group of people. When that got empty, they came back to Jesus and received more food from Jesus and gave it to that group. When it was empty, they came back and received more food from Jesus and then gave it to another group of people. It was like ants on a hillside as you see these 12 disciples scurrying around as they're doing ministry and service in the kingdom of God. Which brings me to the fourth statement, that service in the kingdom of God involves you in the middle of the miracle. You know it's miraculous that we do any good service? The reason I say it's miraculous is because you and I are sinful to the core of our being. We are so selfish. There is nothing good inside of us. There is nothing good in us. The only thing good in us is Jesus Christ. And even after we are saved, we still have to battle our selfish nature, don't we? We still have to battle that sinfulness. And so anytime that I do any good, that's a minor miracle. Anytime that you do anything good, that's a minor miracle. And in the ministry of Jesus, in the kingdom of Christ, as we serve one another, when we serve, he puts us in the middle of the miracle. Isn't this a picture of service in the kingdom of Christ? What you have received from Jesus, you give to others. What you receive from the Lord, you give to others. And when you're empty, you go back to the Lord and he gives you more and you give out more. What you've received from the Lord, the insight, the influence, the blessing, the resources, the ability, what you've received from the Lord, you give to others. Whatever you've received from Christ is not for you alone, but you've received it from Christ so you can give it to somebody else. This is a picture of service in the kingdom of God. What the disciples received from the Lord, they gave to others. If you're not giving to others, why in the world would Jesus entrust you with anything else? If you're not going to give away what he's already given you, and I'm not only talking about resources financially, but that does include it, but if you're not giving away your influence, if you're not giving away your blessing, if you're not giving away the insight that you have gleaned from your time alone with the Lord, if you're not giving it away to others, why would Jesus entrust you with anything more and anything else? The surefire way to prove to Jesus that you're trustworthy is that what you receive, you give to others in need. This is service in the kingdom of God. And Jesus employs you. That's amazing right there. Jesus employs me. He employs us. And he plops us and places us in the middle of the miracle. I don't know when the disciples realized the massive miracle that took place. Probably in hindsight. Don't you know that much of the effectiveness of your ministry is seen in hindsight? It's not in the moment that you realize what you're doing for the kingdom. It's only in hindsight that you look back. You say, wow, look at what God did through us. And all we had were five and two. All we had were five crackers and a couple of sardines. And Jesus Put us in the middle of the miracle. It's John MacArthur who said, uh, don't miss the magnitude of this miraculous event. 
if this Lunchable is enough food for a boy, how much food is needed to feed a hungry man? How much food is needed to, to feed a hungry woman? How much food is needed to feed a hungry teenager? Two times? Three times? Five times? What was offered? If you begin to do the math, it really is astronomical. Then on that day, Jesus would have had to produce at least 175,000 loaves of bread. And he would have had to produce at least 70,000 fish. You begin to do the calculations that if this is enough for a child, then how much for a teenager, how much for a, a, a woman, how much for a grown man? Is it two times, three times, four times? You begin to do that math. Jesus had to produce at least 175,000 loaves of bread, if not more than 200,000 loaves of bread. And on that day, he had to also produce not only 70,000 fish, but also he might have even had to produce up to 100,000 fish. And it was John MacArthur who said, don't miss the magnitude of this miracle. Because what Jesus produced was barley loaves from grain that had never been planted in the cursed ground. And Jesus produced fish that had never swam in the polluted waterways of our world. In other words, Jesus made some food that was heavenly. Jesus made some perfect bread and perfect fish. And Jesus made this. He multiplied what he had. He, he, he made food. He made bread and fish that was not tainted by the curse of sinful humanity. It had not, uh, the fish had not swam through the cursed waters. The grain had not grown through the cursed soil. This was perfect food. There was more than one person who said to the disciples, compliments to the chef. I know it's just crackers. And I know it's just fish. But we ain't never eaten anything like this before. You give our compliments to Chef Jesus. The Bible says that they ate and they were completely satisfied. The word satisfied means they had their fill. Not one person left hungry. Every person had their fill. Every stomach was full. It is John in his rendering of the story who tells us that the next day they wanted to make Jesus king by force. You can't do that, but I understand why they wanted to. After all, Jesus had healed some of their family members by the hands of Christ. He had fed their hearts by the word of Christ. He had filled their stomachs by the food of Christ. He had met every need that they had. I can understand why they wanted to make him king. Oh, but he was already king of kings and lord of lords, wasn't he? He is King Jesus. We are told that the disciples collected uh, 12 basketfuls of broken bread and fish. You know, for years, I always thought to myself, uh, those were the scraps that were left over on the countryside. You know, once people got their fill and they couldn't eat anymore, they just threw aside some extra bread and they threw aside some extra fish. And, and these disciples must have gone through like the sanitation crews, clean up the fairgrounds after the county fair each summer. And so they must have just cleaned up the scraps. 
And for years, that's what I thought was going on in the story. But it was just a couple of years ago that I came to this conclusion. What if the disciples found the 12 basketfuls of bread and fish, not in the scattered countryside, but what if they found them at the feet of Jesus? What if what they gathered was not scraps, but what they gathered was some more perfect bread and perfect fish that Jesus had produced for the crowd? For the disciples to collect 12 basketfuls, how many disciples are there? Oh, there are 12. And how many basketfuls of bread and fish are left over? Oh, there's 12. And those disciples were just as hungry as anybody else in the crowd, so Jesus met their needs just like he met the needs of the massive crowd. So that if you understand that that maybe this bread and this fish that made up the 12 basketfuls that were left over were right there at the feet of Jesus, that Jesus did not waste a morsel. That this, this miracle is powerful, yes, but it is precise. With precision, he met the hungry needs of everybody in the crowd, some 20,000 individuals, so that not one morsel was left over. They didn't have Tupperware. They couldn't put it and save it for another day. I mean, what Jesus made was just enough, but it was only enough. It was just enough, not too much, not too little. Everybody ate, everybody was satisfied. This brings me to my fifth statement, that service starts and stops at the feet of Jesus. It's service in the kingdom of God. It starts and it stops at the feet of Jesus. Yes, it starts because service begins with secluded time with the Savior. Oh, but we also find that service stops right here at the feet of Jesus. It's only at the feet of Jesus that you and I are completely satisfied It's only at the feet of Jesus that we have our needs met. It's only at the feet of Jesus that we discover that our sins have been forgiven and that our life has purpose. We have a home in heaven and that all of our needs are fulfilled in him. It's at the feet of Jesus. You do realize that this world has a pull against your soul that tries to snag you away from the feet of Jesus. I've found it to be true in my life that when I am positioned at the feet of Jesus, that's when I am most satisfied. And that's when I'm most effective in service for the kingdom of Christ. Oh, beloved, but there are times when the world tries to nudge me, pull me, prod me, urge me to stand up on my own two feet and walk away from the cross of Christ. And whenever that happens... I always fail miserably because in my life, in your life, everything starts and stops at the feet of Jesus. This morning, I wonder, where are you in this story? The stories of the New Testament are not given just for your entertainment. Where are you in this story? Are you so caught up in the busyness of the rat race of your life right now that the one thing you've neglected is the one thing that you need? You just need some boat time with Jesus. You need to have some secluded time of quiet rest with the Lord. Maybe you're here today and uh, 
What you need is that you find yourself with a calloused heart. You know that service flows from a heart of compassion. It's a heart of Christ. It's a, it's a heart that, that, that shakes you uh, to the core of who you are. But you've become indifferent to the suffering of others. And what you need more than anything else is you need for God to do some cardiovascular surgery upon you today. And Jesus, who's the great physician, he can do it perfectly. He's never lost a patient. He's not going to start now. He has a perfect bedside manner. And maybe, maybe you just need a heart transplant so that out of your heart will flow the same compassion for others that Christ has for you. Uh, maybe uh, today you find yourself in that moment of saying, Jesus, what I have is nothing. It's not enough to minister to myself, my family, uh, to the needs of those that are around me. Jesus, you're asking me to do something, and all I've got's five and two. All I've got is a couple of saltines and some sardines. That's all I've got. I've just got a Lunchable, but I've got a huge problem that's in front of me. And Jesus is saying to you, perfect, that's all I need. Are you at the place where you just need to give Jesus what you have? Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of a mighty miracle of God. You might know it, you may not know it. But, but you are doing what God has crafted and created you to do. And you're helping people. What you've received from Christ, you're giving to others. And you are having perfect joy and peace as you are ministering in the power and the name of the Lord. Because what he has given you, you're given to others. Friend, if that's you, I applaud you today. Praise the Lord for you. Praise the Lord for your faithful service in the kingdom of Christ. Or maybe you find yourself today and you say, you know what? I have been snatched from the feet of Jesus. I've done it myself. I've let the world do it. I've, I've just kind of gotten off course. And you know, Pastor, what I need more than anything else, I just need to return to the feet of Jesus. Friend, you can do that today. Where do you find yourself in this story? I'll conclude by quoting a song that we sang earlier. That when I come to this story and I see myself at different seasons and stations of my life at different places in this story, I just, I come to this conclusion. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. But oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sin and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. But oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous and oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for you and for me. This Lord, this Christ of this story is beckoning you to come and to serve one another the way Christ serves you. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we ask that if you are working upon the heart of a person who does not know you as Savior and Lord, they've never trusted you as their good king, Lord, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, as soon as we sing the first note of the song, will that person please stand and please come down the aisle, take one of the ministers by the hand and say, I need King Jesus in my life. 
Lord, for those of us who are baptized believers, but we find ourselves in some place and uh, position of this story, uh, Lord, help us. Maybe we need to come and pray here at the altar. Maybe we need to come and pray for somebody else at the altar. Maybe we need to come and join the church. Whatever you're asking us to do today, in this moment, this holy moment of invitation, we respond in obedience. Here we are with our five and two. Take it and use it and bless it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.